The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Good morning. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. It is the Sunday, November 6th edition of the show. And what a magical weekend of college football once again. Uh, it seemed like a pretty light slate, I will imagine. I, I think a lot of people thought that. Of course, we had the two monster games, and everybody thought that everything else would go just status quo. But as we know, of course, November football brings uh, the contenders and the pretenders to the table, and we have seen Alabama was indeed a pretender this year. Clemson, a pretender this year, it looks like. Uh, we have got some crazy stuff to go over today. I am your host, Gary Seekers. Follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE, if you're not already doing that. If you are, thank you. If you're not already subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that right now. Of course, on YouTube, if you're watching live. If you're listening later, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Of course, we do the audio-only format as well, uh, but that will be well after the live version. already got quite a few people in the chat. Jay Hood's already in here. He and I talked quite a bit last night uh, about Georgia handling Tennessee and Alabama losing to LSU, etc. It was... Uh, it was a long evening for your boy here. I'll tell you that. I, uh, I had several glasses of, I think it's called Terramana tequila. I think that's the Rocks tequila brand. Really good stuff. Uh, it helped me get through a long evening where my bets for the BetUS show did not go exactly as planned. <laughs> I might have had a little more invested in Texas State than I really should have. And, uh, and it came down to a college kicker for that one. So I ended up going 2-4-1 on the BetUS show. Puts me at like 38, 24, and 4 on the season, which how in the world do you have four pushes? It's just bananas. Uh, I think the most I've had in a season on that show or on SBR or wherever I was before uh, was all, I think, I think I had three pushes last season, which I thought was absurd, and I think I had one in the season before that. So not a super common thing, but regardless, here we are. Uh, so, yeah, and by the way, the show was powered by BetUS. It's America's premier online sports book, America's favorite sports book since 1994. They've been doing it a very, very long time, and they've got everything that you need. Fast payouts, incredibly helpful customer service. Everything about the website is super easy to use. Go and check it out, BetUS.com. And, uh, and also, I host the BetUS College Football Show, which I'm sure that that was implied by all the other discussion. But yes, uh, I host the BetUS College Football Show with my buddies Parker and Kyle, and we have a good time doing it. We're nearly to 11,000 over there, so there is a link in the description. You can go ahead and go and subscribe over there. We do a show every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, this is my show. This is the Winning Cures Everything show. And this is our Week 10 reaction and recap show. And we've got a lot to break down. I want to start off with the fact that College Game Day is going to Austin, Texas. Again. To see TCU in Texas. And I understand 
that it's a big matchup. I get that, right? And and I've already had people on Twitter uh, kind of coming at me with, that. you don't understand how big this is. But no, I understand the importance of the game. I get that. It's a big brand matchup. Anything that Texas is involved in is obviously going to bring eyeballs. However, they have shown that when game day goes to uh, less than big brand locales, it, the fan bases are really really amped up and they make it a much more viewable product how exactly amped up are texas fans going to be they have three losses i understand that they are still in the big 12 title race but they have three losses already game day has already been there what are we doing like you've got a chance to go to new orleans to Tulane, for the first time ever and i don't know when you're going to get to go back like it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me when you will get a chance to go back to New Orleans. Uh, you're going to get a chance to go back to Texas basically every season. Uh, they're going to be ranked every year. There's going to be big big primetime matchups every year. It it seemed to make a whole lot of sense to me. Now I understand maybe the logistics didn't work, right? You already know that the logistics are going to work in Austin, but I if it were me, if it were up to me, I would have taken that thing down to Tulane. I mean, everything fit perfectly. You had Alabama lose to LSU, so you kind of knock Oxford out of that, right? So you're not going to Ole Miss. You had Tulane and UCF both win road games. Both of them will be in the top 25. Let's forget the idea of when is the next time that Tulane is going to be good. When is the next time that Tulane is going to host a top 25 matchup between two ranked teams in the month of November? (laughs) So while I can be irritated, I do understand there may be some stuff going on in the background as far as logistics go and everything else, uh, but I was a little irritated. I was a little bit irritated. All right, let's dive into it. I know what you guys are here for. Uh, everybody that follows this show understands that I am an Alabama fan. Um, have been my entire life, right? I went to my first game when I was eight months old. My father graduated from there, both of my grandparents, uh, aunts, uncles, et cetera, da, 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 da. We've been Alabama fans for a long time. Now, I've been through all of the bad years. I've, I went through all the Shula years. I went through the Mike Dubos stuff. I went through Bill Curry when I was really forming my fanhood. Uh, Gene Stallings, etc. Like, I've been through all of this. So, this was never a bandwagon thing. This was just something that I was born into. But I've tried my best to not be biased when it comes to uh, Alabama football. And when I look at what happened between... LSU and Alabama last night. This is not what I wanted. Uh, <laughs> I think of, I think of the situation where all all dynasties eventually come to an end. And I am not saying that this is the end of the dynasty for Alabama. This team is still, uh, you know what? You know we're going to restart this thing. We're going to restart this entire thing because we need to start off with the winners, right? LSU 32, Alabama 31. Let me write down that time. LSU 32, Alabama 31 in overtime. LSU goes for two in overtime after they score a touchdown on the first offensive play. The first play. They knock this thing out. It's beautiful, gorgeous, incredibly run. And it was the same play that Brian Kelly ran when he was at Notre Dame back in 2014 against Florida State. 
incredibly similar defensive scheme. He knew what would work against it. And he also said in the postgame press conference that he knew that, you know, even though that one was called for offensive pass interference, it was called uh, a pick play, he knew in Tiger Stadium that would not be called a pick play. And he, he was right. He was absolutely right. Now, it did not run the same way that the other one did, but it was effectively the same play. And it worked to perfection. You got Daniels throwing to a freshman tight end, and the lines held up. Everything was beautiful. It worked perfectly. But that one play was not a referendum of the way that the entire night went. LSU was the better football team. Just a better coached football team, a tougher football team. Harold Perkins lived in the backfield for LSU. He absolutely caused havoc on Bryce Young. Bryce Young, less than 50% completion percentage. Just absolutely insane. Let's go on and pull up the, uh, the stats here and see exactly what we're looking at. Alabama ran 16 more plays. Uh, Alabama had 100 more total yards. Bama had more ter- uh, more first downs. They had more yards per play. Granted, it was negligible, 5.74 to 5.64. Um, the issue for me was the yards per rushing attempt, right? LSU 5.4 to Alabama 4.6. LSU ran the ball four more times. Alabama had a higher yards per pass. Uh, but 25 out of 51 ain't getting it done. I mean, it's just nuts. Uh, you you see these numbers here. And LSU's success rate was much higher. Their standard down success rate was higher. Their passing down success rate was higher. Alabama had more tackles for loss and more sacks. Uh, Tyrone coming in. I'm kind of glad LSU won. Uh, yeah, I, I could understand it. Everybody wants a little bit of change, right? Like that's, uh, you, that's why people watch Alabama is to see if they will lose because they are tired of Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and blah, 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 blah. Right, it, you you hope for a changing of the guard, and I will tell you that by watching this game, I felt like this was a changing of the guard in the SEC West. This is Brian Kelly's first year, and I see that, of course, this is not loading the way that I wanted it to. Uh, there we go. All right, so it is a changing of the guard. This LSU team is only going to get better. Like it, that's the crazy part about this. They are incredibly well coached. The Defensive game plan from Matt House, the defensive coordinator. Of course, he came from the NFL, but he was at Kentucky for a very long time before that. Um, This was a masterpiece. He confused Bryce Young, and he used a lot of the same stuff that, that really messed with Bryce Young last season. Now, you're not going to be able to completely stop Bryce Young because he is absurd. I will tell you that. The way that last touchdown that he threw where he was able to get loose in the pocket, and he, there were four or five defenders that got their hands on him, and he broke free and was still able to see down the field to throw that touchdown pass to Ja'Cory Brooks. That's the kind of stuff that you cannot defend. It is impossible to defend that guy. It's, it's Johnny Manziel-esque, right? You can't stop that all the time. And to be fair... That is exactly what has kept Alabama in a lot of games this year. You saw it against Tennessee. Bryce Young worked magic in Knoxville. He worked magic last night in Baton Rouge. Absolutely did. And uh, and sometimes it is not enough. It's just not. Madhouse brought pressure between the guards and made it where Bryce was uncomfortable. He couldn't get out of the pocket. He couldn't see 
where his uh, where his guys were making breaks, etc. Like he couldn't see it beforehand to see where they were. It was he was confused, absolutely confused. I will also say that I don't know that he is. I don't think he's one hundred percent healthy. Uh, he he didn't look right. I'll say that, uh, and yet he was still able to make some really really good throws. Uh, and that is not by any means an excuse for Bryce Young. I'm just saying that he didn't look right uh, from the very get go. So, of course, we got to dive into uh, one LSU being absolutely incredible. Uh, they only have one loss in the SEC. Uh, they have to lose to both Arkansas and Texas A&M in order to not go to the SEC championship game. That is a remarkable, remarkable job by Brian Kelly. His first season, they have developed this much. They have worked their game plans to perfection. Now, granted, the Tennessee game did not go their way. Uh, That thing got off script immediately as soon as they dropped that opening kickoff, right? I mean, it was just nuts. But what we need to look at from the LSU side is, are they going to be competitive in the SEC championship game? I don't think so. I think they will get there. I don't think Arkansas is good enough to stop them. I don't think Texas A&M is good enough to beat them either. So I think they're going to win out. Will they get to the CFP? I don't believe so. I don't think that this team is good enough yet to be able to compete with Georgia. And that's perfectly fine because it is year one of a rebuild. And yet they're making it to Atlanta. That is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And incredibly well done by that coaching staff. Mike Denbrock, a lot of people were not overly thrilled with the hire of the Cincinnati offensive coordinator because they didn't know exactly what he was going to be. Everybody thought, well, Miles Brennan might be the the quarterback because he's the better thrower. Well, then, of course, Brennan decides to retire. Jalen Daniels comes in, and uh, Jaden Daniels, excuse me. There's so many Daniels, like JT and Jalen, but regardless. So Jaden Daniels uh, develops over the season. He gets better. He's a better thrower now. He is a a better uh, pocket presence. He is still a great athlete and a great runner as well. And he, the Denbrock offense has utilized every tool that Daniels has. They have found a way to get those receivers involved. Because remember, early in the year, they couldn't figure out how to get them involved in the game. They are now incredibly good blockers down the field. They are also still really good at catching the football. That is a fantastic wide receiver core. The running backs, uh, good gracious... I mean, that the kid last night, uh, let's look at the uh, the stats. Of course, we'll pull it up um, over at Stat Broadcast. The, uh, let's see, Williams, Josh Williams, seven carries, 54 yards, and they were man yards. They were man yards. Uh, it's toughness. This team is tough. They are really well coached. They are confident, and they are a tough team. Harold Perkins, Josh Williams, uh Look, John Emery, of course, with the touchdown catch, uh, just a, a, a fantastic night. A fantastic night for LSU. Now let's move it over to the Alabama side. Uh, you see Jameer Gibbs, 15 carries, 99 yards. His long was 34 here. Bryce Young, 25 out of 51, 328 yards, one touchdown. He did have the one interception on that opening drive where he threw it from about the four or five-yard line and just threw it behind a guy. Uh, shouldn't have thrown it. Should have moved forward. I mean, you had more downs. Like, what are you doing? Right? And that's the way that the game went basically the entire ballgame. From that opening series for Alabama to the end of the night. That's what the, that's the kind of game it was. 
Uh, Jameer Gibbs led the team in receptions, 8 for 64. Uh, he had the most rushing attempts, of course, 15 for 99. Uh, Gibbs was the dude. Gibbs was the team. Field position early in this game is what set Alabama behind the marker. And a big part of that is the fact that even when they were backed up, they threw the football way, way more than you really should have. Gibbs was able to get some push, but they did not trust the offensive line, and they did not trust the running backs to be able to get them out of that spot. It's like they knew they had been stuffed so many times that they didn't trust their offensive line to be able to push their way out of being inside their own 10-yard line again. It was a carbon copy of what happened in the first half in Knoxville. LSU just, just, they don't have the firepower that Tennessee did. But they were able to win that field position game, and they went to the half with a 7-6 lead here. We, we can break down the game. But what this really comes down to at the end of the day, and I will get off this game and get to the other games here in just a minute, but uh, we got to talk about Alabama for a minute. And I, I think the... The biggest thing to take away from Alabama's loss to LSU is that this probably should have been uh, the fourth loss this year, uh, were it not for Bryce Young and his magical abilities to escape the pocket and and find guys downfield, etc. No, the wide receiver core is not great, right? It's not what Alabama has been used to over the last four years or so. But you did not have to have a fantastic wide receiver core in the past to be able to win at Alabama. The shift came when Scott Cochran left and went to Georgia. And Alabama fans will tell you that they believe that it was time for a change. And I think Nick Saban believed it was time for a change. I think Scott Cochran certainly believed it was time for a change because there were a lot of issues with injuries and whatever, and you're just trying to find what is the issue. What We, we need to move forward as a program, and that's the biggest thing for Nick Saban is adapting as a football program. When they lost Cochran, they brought in... Uh, uh, Ballou and Dr. Matt Ray, if I'm not mistaken. I think that I think those are the right guys. Matt Ray is now with, I want to say the Saints. He's he's somewhere in the NFL. And I, I think the biggest thing that left when Cochran left is the toughness of that football team. And you have seen it kind of dwindle, right? The the staff changes that they made as far as the strength and conditioning program worked beautifully for the 2020 football season. They did not work after that, right? Because in 2020, everything was already built. Cochran had already built those guys into monsters. The offensive line, the defensive line, the linebackers, everybody. The wide receivers were big and tough, and yeah, they were fast, and yeah, all that kind of stuff, but they were blocking machines. Uh, Alabama was an intimidating force as soon as they got off the bus. It is not the same now. This team cannot get a push on third and one when they need a yard. And it's never been like that under Nick Saban. Now, is it to do with Saban? Is it to to do with the coordinators? You know, we can nitpick play calling all we want to, but at the end of the day, if your offensive coordinator does not trust your offensive line to be able to get a push on third and one, and I understand, yes, they had a a third and one uh, goal line situation where they were able to run, but at the same time, they had to go up and Bryce did a bunch of different motions, et cetera. You ran across a tight end. You ran uh, uh, Jermaine Burton, I think it was, uh, across the across the backfield like you put him in a jet motion. You, you had all these different things that had to work in your favor to get guys out of the middle so that you could actually run up the middle. 
you didn't used to have to do that in Tuscaloosa. Like, there's something obviously going on with this that I, I don't know how you can fix it quickly, right? You can fix an offensive coordinator. You can fix a play caller. You can fix a defensive coordinator if you need to. I don't think Pete Golding is the problem. But regardless, uh, the issue at Alabama over the last two years has been the offensive line and the defensive line. And they're, they're not scary. There's nothing to that. LSU was not terrified of them. Texas was not scared of them. Uh, there was You couldn't count on either of them to get a push when you needed it. Texas was able to run the football. Tennessee was able to run the football. LSU was able to run the football. I, at some point, you got to be able to stop the run. Otherwise, the other team can do whatever they want to. Yeah, we can talk about the secondary not being great in coverage or whatever, but the reason that Alabama's secondaries have always been pretty good is they've always been able to get pressure on the quarterback easily. If you can get pressure with three or four, then you've got plenty of guys in the backfield to be able to help out, right? And the quarterback has to be able to get rid of the ball quicker, especially when you're bringing Will Anderson, et cetera. But Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and, and everyone else cannot do it by themselves. You have to be able to get pressure up front, up the middle, because with them running the football the way that they did, the Williams kid was awesome. Daniels, all of his stuff that he was running to the edge and everywhere else, that's all stuff that could have been handled if you were able to get off your blocks. <laughs> it's just, it's so irritating. So irritating to watch. And regardless, uh, it was a big win for LSU, and it felt like a changing of the guard for Alabama. No, I don't believe that the Alabama dynasty is dead. But I will say last night that it looked like this this could be a frustrating enough team to where it would not surprise me if Nick Saban were to retire at the end of the year. Just my thoughts on it. Uh, Double O'Neill said, uh, "Hurry up and bring on the thirteen or the twelve team playoff." Eh, I mean, do we really need a twelve team playoff? D- does Alabama and Clemson belong in a playoff? Really? And I, yes, I understand that they have lost by one point in overtime to the number ten team on the road, and they lost to what was the number one team uh, on the last play of the game on a last second field goal on the road. I get that, but they. It is what it is. Justin Simpson says Bama just can't perform well away. Uh, they don't perform well at home either. They've just had an easier schedule at home. <laughs> this team, like LSU last year, the Ed Orgeron LSU team, held Alabama to one yard rushing last year or whatever it was. Like, it, that's insane. You, everybody saw that, that defensive line for LSU last year. Everybody saw Alabama's offensive line all year. They weren't good. Like, it's just, that's the way that this goes. So, all right, we got to get off of that one. Uh, let's let's hit on Notre Dame and Clemson. Notre Dame thirty-five, Clemson fourteen. Now I had this on the other television, and we're going to pull up the uh, the stats on this. But man, uh, <laughs> this was nuts. This was absolutely nuts. Um, Marcus Freeman and Brian Kelly both getting the biggest wins of their career on the same night is absolutely hysterical. Like, this is this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Clemson ran 65 plays. They had two turnovers, of course, uh, pick six, etc. Notre Dame was not great offensively. They had more total yards, 350-307. But Notre Dame with two defensive touchdowns. Of course, they had the punt block, and, you know, it, it was just everything went right for Notre Dame in this ballgame. And when Notre Dame is on script, 
they can be really, really good because that defense does know how to shut people down, especially in average offense. And that's what you got here with Clemson is an average offense. The coaching staff for Clemson, again, we talked about this earlier in the year. This is not a great offense. This is not a very experienced offensive staff either. Uh, and I believe Bud Elliott talked about how funny it would be. Uh, no, no, maybe it wasn't, but it was Tom Fornelli talking about if Jeff Scott were to be fired as the uh, South Florida offensive coordinator, if he were to then go back to being the offensive coordinator uh, for Clemson, right? If he was fired as the head coach at South Florida and went back to Clemson as the offensive coordinator, would that change anything? And I don't necessarily know that it would because football evolves. Football changes. And Notre Dame, of course, wanted to change. They wanted something better. They wanted all these different things. So, yeah, it's. I look at it, and I think that this game for Clemson was just inevitable. I did find it funny that, of course, last week, Dabo Sweeney talked about the fact that Cade Klubnick uh, came in and, and provided a spark, but DJ is the guy. And then, of course, this happens, and they go to Cade fairly quickly. Okay. Uh, I mean, what what happened? What, what did we miss? What are we, what are we looking at on this? Uh, because I would have absolutely believed that they would have stuck with DJ in this, because it wasn't necessarily his fault early that Notre Dame had such success. But once you saw that he was not able to get it done, yeah, they absolutely moved away from it, and that is the way that it goes. So I, I look at this. Uh, you, you can see the uh, the win probability on the screen here. Uh, you see the expected points. I mean, it, Notre Dame just had a monster game. Uh, of course, purple is bad. Green is good. Notre Dame had a lot of green, and Clemson did not. Uh, this was This was bound to happen eventually. And while it's great for Notre Dame, this is still a team that lost at home to Marshall and to Stanford. And we have seen how bad those teams are. Uh, if the game gets off script, Notre Dame is not good. Last night, the game would stayed on script for them. It worked out perfectly early, and they were able to hold on to it. And, uh, and Clemson pressed. You know, uh, you, you look at the rushing yards here, they were able to absolutely push Clemson around on defense. They had four rushers uh, that ran 47 times for 263 yards. Uh, most of that was Diggs and uh, Esteem. I, I still don't know how to say his name because I've always got the game on mute. But regardless, this team averaged 5.6 yards per rush. That's awesome. And Clemson got behind so early, they only ran the ball 25 times for 90 yards. It was 3.6 yards per rush. Will Shibley was okay, but he only ran the ball 12 times for 63 yards. Like, if you've got DJU in a spot where he is having to throw the ball 39 times, you're in, you're in trouble. You're absolutely in trouble. All right, let's, uh, before we hit on Georgia-Tennessee, let's go on and, and hit one of these, and we'll hit Georgia-Tennessee, TCU, Texas Tech, and Liberty-Arkansas on the other side. Let's check out some things you should know about. College football is back, and BetUS TV has you covered. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we've got expert game analysis to help you make informed decisions before kickoff, only on the BetUS TV College Football Channel. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, gambling picks, merch, the gear we use, and more. 
If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And now, back to the show. All right, all right. Uh, Double O'Neal jumped in and said, that's why we need a 12-team playoff. Double O'Neal said, Clemson pulled an Oklahoma State from last week. Uh, what happened? And Tyrone Davis said, Notre Dame is evolving. They will get better with Marcus. I, I do agree with that. I think they will get better with Marcus Freeman. Uh, but they've got to figure out something on offense. Obviously, Tyler Buckner going out early in the year did not help that. But regardless, it is what it is. Let's, uh, let's turn on a little music in the background. Let's see. And that's not coming out where I want it. I uh, I had a plan to have like some some chill stuff going on in the background, and it just did not work for me this morning. Uh, here we go. Let's try. There we go. A little bit just chilling in the background. All right. Let's talk about Georgia and Tennessee. Georgia is the toughest team in college football. I think that's easy to to figure out. Easy to figure out. Uh, this team is fantastic. They are so good. Like I, I don't even know how to how to fully explain it. Uh, they have a beautiful, beautiful game plan on defense and on offense. It, the numbers were were bonkers. Uh, let's go on and pull it up on the screen here. Uh, Georgia twenty seven to thirteen over Tennessee, and I mean they only ran fifty nine plays. Uh, they had more total yards than Tennessee, <laughs> considering like considering the fact that they had. Um, they had 15 less plays and had 100 more total yards. That is insane. Uh, just everything about this came up roses for Georgia here. Uh, Georgia had double the yards per pass. Uh, they had a much higher PPA per play. 
their success rate was higher, standard down success rate higher, uh, passing down success rate higher. They had six sacks on the day. They towards the end of that ball game, they were absolutely assaulting Hendon Hooker in the pocket. Tennessee's offensive line could not hold up against that defensive line. And what's crazy is this is without Nolan Smith. This is without a bunch of the, Jalen Carter was hurt. They said all these different things, and Georgia just just blasted them back into the Stone Age. This was absolutely insane to watch. There's it's uh, there's almost nothing that you can really take away from this. Tennessee's only touchdown came with about four minutes left in the ball game. They were no threat early in this game, and then of course once it got to uh, the rain and everything else. Ten- uh, by the way, the pre-snap penalties for Tennessee. It turns out that going on the road into a really hostile environment is very difficult to run an offense. I thought that with the communication that they had set up under Josh Heupel's offense with as quick as they go, that it wouldn't cause that much of a, a problem. I was highly incorrect on this. I had no idea that it was going to be that massive of a a noise factor of a hindrance to what Tennessee wanted to do offensively because as you've seen they've been able to do it everywhere else they went to LSU and blew them out of the water so what happened what happened with this uh just just blown out from the word go and here I'm gonna pull up uh pull up these numbers because stat broadcast which by the way whoever it is at stat broadcast that wants to lock the stats to where only the credentialed media members uh, can view it. Come on. Why are we doing this? Like, come on. Hendon Hooker was 23 out of 33, 195 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Stetson Bennett, 17 out of 25, 257, two touchdowns. Kenny McIntosh and Edwards both were really good in this ballgame. Um, Lad McConkey had a monster game, 94 yards receiving, five receptions with one touchdown. Kenny McIntosh, two for 57. Uh, I mean, look, they didn't even need Brock Bowers. Like, he was massive as far as blocking and uh, and distracting, of course. He was a decoy for a lot of different things. This team was fantastic. They had the perfect offensive game plan. They absolutely ruined Tennessee. Uh, James jumps in. Baton Rouge is not Athens. Don't compare it. <laughs> Both of them on a big-time game day, can be really, really good. And yes, I understand Athens was hype for this one. I get it. But, and no, the LSU team is not comparable to Georgia. But in this situation, yeah, LSU at home, especially on a Saturday night against a, a top-10 team, yeah, LSU was pretty hyped for their matchup too. But it was not the same being an 11 a.m. game. I will tell you that. 11 a.m. Central game, not the same as going to Athens for a 2.30 game. So, in this situation, uh, look, Tillman came back for Tennessee. Uh, seven receptions, 68 yards. Like, he looked pretty good. Jalen Hyatt looked like he had an ankle issue early in the game. Uh, and these are not excuses for anybody that wants to jump on YouTube and start talking about it. These are not excuses. What I'm saying is, Tennessee was really, really good all year at using the run to help set up the pass and vice versa. They could set up the pass or they could set up the run with the pass, right? They could do both of these things and Georgia absolutely stuffed it. Absolutely stuffed it. They have got the toughest trenches in the country. They blast these teams and they did it to Tennessee. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mr. Slaw 007. Uh, no, Mr. Sia 007. Uh, it says, do you think C.J. Stroud has taken himself out of the Heisman race after struggling the last few weeks? Uh, no. Because if you keep winning and you have a big showing against Michigan or whatever else, uh, who, who exactly else is in the Heisman race right now? I mean, Drake May? Like, uh, double and nil. LSU apparently can beat anybody. Who knew? Eh, who knew? <laughs> They're incredibly well coached. Georgia is incredibly well coached. Like, it, these, these teams are great. Just awesome. Uh, speaking of great teams that just keep finding ways to win, and I'm going to have to go quicker through the rest of these, but we will spend a little bit of time on this. Ah, right down my time. TCU 34 and Texas Tech 24. And pull up the stats on this. TCU finds a way to win again. They were in more plays. They had less turnovers. Uh, they scored a defensive touchdown. They had, uh, you know, 70-something more yards. Uh, more first downs, more yards per play. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, this team just keeps finding ways to win ball games, And it is mind-blowing to me how they do it, right? Because at some point, you have to think that things are not going to go perfectly for them. And yet, here they are, over and over and over again, doing the same thing, finding ways to win late in the ballgame. Um, Texas Tech had a good showing here. Uh, I know that Morton went out and, yeah, make your jokes about TCU, but it, at this point... Does it necessarily matter? Like, is Morton any better than uh, Shuck or Donovan Smith or whatever? I, I don't I don't think so. I mean, he's a freshman, like, going on the road. Like, what are we talking about? Uh, but you look at, at what exactly happened in this game. You go through the, uh, the play-by-play. TCU, of course, started off hot, and Texas Tech was able to come back from that. Of course, they faced the adversity early. They were down 13-10. to 10. Texas Tech was at the half. And then you get to the fourth quarter, right? You get to, uh, well, let's just say late late third. T- Texas Tech is up 17-13. to 13. TCU turns the ball over on downs. Texas Tech can't capitalize. And then you got a 10-play, 81-yard drive. Texas Tech turns the ball over on downs again. you got a 3-play, 34-yard touchdown drive. Turns it over on downs again. you got a 6-play, 45-yard touchdown drive. And that's effectively the ballgame. I mean, it, it's, it's insane. Uh, TCU got the most ranked wins in my top four. Uh, says Double O'Neal, yes, you continue to win, absolutely. And I'm not saying anything bad about TCU. I think this is a good football team that is taking advantage of every opportunity that comes their way, right? That's the biggest thing here. Uh, but at some point, like, they were down 17-13 late in this game. Um, yeah, 838 in the third quarter. And then Texas Tech... It does what they have been doing, which has worked for them, is they keep going forward on fourth down. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Joey McGuire has proven to be much more analytical than I assumed that he would be. But this TCU team, I, I cannot wait to watch them play against Texas, right? I want to see what this team looks like on the road at Texas. They, they have done some really good things, both at home and on the road. Uh, but their toughest games to date have been at home. Um... I think they're really good. I don't think they're going to finish undefeated, but we'll see. We will see what happens. Uh, Mike Smith jumps in. Ohio State play Michigan. Uh, the winner gets the playoff. Yeah, uh, that's that's what it looks like. But if if these teams keep falling out, you could see both of them in the playoff. I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibilities at all. I really, 
really don't. Moving along. Wait, you know we got to talk about it. Liberty, 21, Arkansas, 19. And, and yes, I actually had eyes on this ballgame. Liberty's defense was surprisingly good in this game. I could not believe what I was watching here. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's pull it up on the screen so that you can see exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, 3.4 yards per rush for Arkansas. They got Rocket Sanders to 60 yards rushing on the day. Uh, now, part of it was because they, they got a lead. You know, they were up 21-3 to at the half. And, and it completely threw Arkansas's game plan out of here. Now, Arkansas was able to come back and score 14 points in the fourth quarter. But, uh, so now, of course, Jonathan Bennett, who everybody had been talking about having the flu all week, came out 15 out of 25, 224 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Uh, they ran the ball 38 times for 91 yards, so it's not like they were great, but they still had the threat of it. But, man, this Douglas kid, seven catches, 145 yards, and a touchdown. Like, it, they they were awesome. Liberty was awesome. I, I look at these numbers, and I'm just like, how how did we get here? You know, Arkansas did outgain them, but, of course, they were coming from behind basically the entire ball game. Liberty got that fast start, and then their defense was able to hang on. And I could not have seen that coming from a Hugh Freeze team, especially one where there was such a talent discrepancy. Uh, Mike Smith does jump in. He said, Connecticut plays Liberty next week. Yeah, those are two teams that are, I mean, absolutely peaking right now. Liberty's only got one loss on the season. Only one loss. Just unreal. Uh, So let's talk about this. You know, I I was going to talk about Mississippi State and Auburn. Uh, probably going to cut that out due to time constraints today. But Auburn, you know, yes, they hired John Cohen. And, of course, he was the AD at Mississippi State when all of that mess was going on with Hugh Freeze and Dan Mullen and all that, right? Um, I, I'm a little concerned with the fact that uh, so many people are on this. I did not believe that Auburn would hire Hugh Freeze because of the because of the Ole Miss stuff, because of even things that have gone on at Liberty. Remember, he was, over the summer, we talked about him DMing a sexual assault victim at Liberty, uh, talking about how great the AD is at Liberty. and I mean, it was just completely ridiculous. However, take all that stuff away, which I don't think you can, but if you take it all away... The guy wins. So here's the question when it comes to the Auburn job. And I know Jay Hood jumps in. Yeah, what, what does this mean for Coach Freeze's future? I I need to know how desperate Auburn is to win. If they cannot get Lane Freeze, Lane Freeze, <laughs> if they can't get Lane Kiffin, do they offer a just ridiculous contract to Hugh Freeze? He's already Freeze is set up at Liberty. I think it would be in his best interest to stay at Liberty. It's a private institution. You don't have to worry a whole lot about really anything. We, we've seen the amount of money that they made. I watched a, a documentary called God Forbid the other night with my wife, and it talked about Liberty University and their $2 billion endowment and all this stuff. And I know that they've had all the problems with the Falwells, and yeah, we can talk about the religious aspect and, and whatever, right? We, we get all that. But here's the truth of the matter. Liberty is set up. They're going into Conference USA, Hugh Freeze could stay there and win forever, and the expectations would remain 
you know, whatever. Go Get seven wins. Get six or seven wins every year, and you're fine. It's basically Mark Stoops. But uh, does he want more? If Freeze wants more, and if Auburn is desperate, and Auburn can't get Deion Sanders, and they can't get Lane Kiffin, and they can't get, you know, whoever, Matt Rule, do they want to go after somebody like Hugh Freeze because he has proven that he can beat Alabama, because he has proven he can win in the SEC? That's the question. I don't know uh, the answer to that. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned. I will say that. <laughs> I'm a little concerned uh, because, I mean, Freeze wins everywhere he goes. I mean, just a fact of the matter. All right, let's hit, uh, let's hit one more here, and. So, yeah, Mississippi State beat Auburn in the most ridiculous game of the night, 39-33. to uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're not going to do a, you know, a separate game breakdown. But, yeah, Hugh Freeze to Auburn, that's one to watch because of desperation, I think. We'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Uh, let's move to Texas and Kansas State. Texas, 34, Kansas State, 27. And this one got a little bit interesting. At the end, it was a little bit tense, I think you could say. Let's pull up the stats so that you can see what we're looking at. Kansas State ran more plays. They both had equal the number of turnovers. Uh, Total yards was Kansas State. Uh, You know, I only only had eyes on this a little bit while the other games were going because Clemson and Notre Dame was so surprising. Alabama LSU, of course, was going on. Uh, I did have this on one of my screens, but, uh, but I didn't get to see it all the way through. And, and before you guys jump in on why are you talking about it if, you know, what we're talking about really is the narrative of what happened and, and what it means in the grand scheme of everything else that's going on, right? So, Texas, uh, you know, more PPA per play, better success rate, better standard down success, better passing down success, etc. But they had a chance to put this thing away in the first half uh, before the punch out, right? Uh, you go and look at the, the play-by-play here. And, you know, I, I look and I see that, let's pull it back up on the screen here. So this fumble, when they were up 31-10, to 10, I guess that was early in the third quarter. It wasn't the first half. Uh, Xavier Worthy fumbles the ball. And that is what led to Kansas State, you know, getting back into this thing. It was 31-17 to 17 at that point. And then you go down, you did nine plays, 29 yards and a punt. Uh, three plays, six yards, and a punt, and then Kansas State scores again to make it thirty-one to twenty-four. So, uh, you you really let this thing get hairy, and you shouldn't have. Uh, the end of this ball game, the <laughs> double O'Neill. That's why we need a top twenty-five playoff. Uh, so, the end of the game, Adrian Martinez getting the ball down to the Texas, you know, forty-three, and then he he runs. And he fumbles the football with 24 seconds left. It felt like I was watching a Nebraska highlights reel from the 2021 season. It was so brutal to see that because Kansas State had worked and gotten themselves back in this game. Why, how in the world does Texas come out and score all these points early, right? They 31 to 10 at the half, and they ended with 34 points. They kicked one field goal in the fourth quarter. How does this happen? What what adjustments are being made or are not being made by Sarkeesian and that staff? I'm I'm perplexed. I, I don't know how we 
I don't know how we get to this point. So, regardless, they get a, a big time win. They're six and three now. Uh, they're four and two in the conference. They got the tiebreaker over Kansas State. Of course, uh, there's Oklahoma State back there with three losses now. Of course, because of the Kansas game, I don't think we're going to have time to talk about that today. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's bonkers to look at and see exactly what has happened with this Texas football team. I can't figure out why they can't just put games away. Now, in the past, they would have lost this game. 100%. And yet, they found a way to win it. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at, at the way that they let that thing get out of their hands. Because I, they were they were owning the ball game. Absolutely owning the ball game. All right, let's hit, uh, let's hit one more ad. We're going to hit Michigan State and Illinois on the backside. And, uh, and we'll jump into questions, everything else, toss it into the chat, and uh, and I will talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. There's a bunch more to discuss, but yeah, toss it in the chat. We got Michigan State, Illinois on the backside. Let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, and you can follow Gary at GaryWCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show, looking to start one, or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show, too. Subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, back into this. Uh, let's, uh, let me go on and tell you guys about Valtimary Surf Company. Fantastic, fantastic clothing line. I've got a link in the description uh, but you can go visit valtamarysurfco.com and use the promo code Gary10 to get 10% off of your order. Uh, fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff over there. All right, let's hit this right quick. Michigan State 23, Illinois 15. And if you watched my show on Thursday, uh, I told you that the most likely double-digit underdog to win outright this weekend would be Michigan State. And the reason for that was... Uh, the fact that Illinois had not really beaten a ton of good teams and Michigan State possibly, I know this is going to sound awful, maybe it could have been viewed as addition by subtraction. Just just a thought, right? Uh, addition by subtraction by getting some of the uh, the bad eggs out. And I don't know these guys personally. I don't know that they're bad eggs. I'm just, I'm, I'm contemplating. I'm coming up with theories as to why this team may have looked better against a really good Illinois defense than they have in weeks. This team was not good. But you know that Mel Tucker, while a lot of people like to make fun of the whole Tuck coming and everything else, this is still a pretty good football coach. And he may not have all the pieces that he wants right now, but he can get them. So if we if we look at what happened here, yeah, it Equal turnovers, they got blasted as far as total yards, uh, but a lot of that was because Illinois was having to come from behind. This was a beautiful game for Michigan State. Uh, they were up early in this spot. Uh, they went up 9-7, to seven, and then in the third quarter, of course, it was just a beautiful, beautiful spot for Michigan State. Had the two touchdowns, 
Six plays for 29 yards. Three plays for 41 yards. Beautiful. Beautiful. Illinois knew that they had to do something. And and they could not get it done. Had two turnover on downs. They had a fumble. Excuse me, three turnover on downs. Um, Michigan State just didn't beat themselves in this ballgame. Defense held up pretty good. When the other team does not have a great passing attack, this Michigan State defense is not awful. That's the deal. When there's no threat, they don't have to worry with it. So I, I looked at these numbers, and, you know, 3.9 yards per rushing attempt, 3.3. Uh, the fact that Illinois held them to under 300 yards total offense is not a surprise, but Michigan State needed this. They needed this one badly. So I was I was happy to see them get it. Uh, I did want Illinois to finish the year with one loss, of course, heading into that Big Ten championship game because I thought it would be insane. Absolutely insane. Um, if you had a three-way... <laughs> Uh, you know, round-robin thing going on with Illinois beating Michigan in the regular season, Michigan beating Ohio State, and Illinois's only got one loss. And, you know, it would have been mind-blowing, and yet we did not get there. So, regardless, uh, let's talk. Uh, you know what? Here, you know what? At this point, for the next uh, 10 minutes or so before I have to go uh, get the son, go get the boy, UCF 35, and uh, you know what? I'm going to hit on that. Uh, Hey, how about this, Jay Hood? Is there anything we can learn from Ohio State's issues moving the ball against Northwestern? I don't believe so. One, everybody knows about Ryan Field, and they know about the grass, and they know that it automatically slows down teams. <laughs> so we know how that works. Uh, but on top of that, it was a crazy windy day, and I, you didn't have your full plethora of running backs, et cetera, for Ohio State. Mayan Williams still had a pretty good day running the football. I think I've got the stats pulled up here. Um, I think he had over 100 yards rushing. You know, I, I I don't think that they were tuned into this one. I think that's just the biggest deal on this. Ohio State just played at Penn State. That's their only real test between now and the Michigan game. And they kind of felt like they could just take this one off because you've seen how bad Northwestern's been. Like, this, is, this has not been a good football team. Uh, Ohio State, yeah, Mayan Williams, uh, 26 attempts for 111 yards. Uh, C.J. Stroud ran six times for 79 yards, and nobody could pass the ball in that wind, especially not down the field. You know, C.J. Stroud, 10 out of 26, 76 yards. I think the issues as far as moving the ball against Northwestern is Northwestern does every now and then find a way to, uh, to slow teams down and get them out of their game plan. When Northwestern came out early and scored that first touchdown, that really put more pressure on Ohio State than they were planning on. And once you get hit in the mouth, it takes a little bit to come back from. I don't think there's anything really to take away from this game. Uh, both of these teams had over 200 yards rushing. Uh, I think the biggest question is, why does Northwestern not look like this all the time? <laughs> why, why did they look like hot garbage against other football teams, and then you find a way to stay close against Ohio State or against Michigan or whoever. Like, why can Pat Fitzgerald not get that thing on the rails? I think that's the biggest question. So, Double O'Neill jumped in. Same thing to be learned from the other upsets. The great teams aren't down as much as all uh, so-called lesser teams are better. Uh, he said, in other words, there's more parity between teams than ESPN and others would have you believe. I, I think that is the biggest thing this year. I don't think there are any great teams, although I might would venture to say that Georgia is by far the best team in the country right now. But even they are susceptible to, you know, going on the road and, and putting up a dud. 
I mean, this is, uh, it's not like this road environment was incredibly intimidating for Ohio State. Uh, they had more fans in the stands than Northwestern did. But again, rainy conditions, really, really windy, uh, just an uncomfortable situation. And Ryan Day said it best at the end of the ballgame. If you saw his, uh, his postgame interview on ABC, he said, just happy to get out of here with a win. Uh, we keep finding new ways to win ballgames. I think that's what you take out of it. Like so, <laughs> Double O'Neal. So never count out Rudy. Yeah, basically. Uh, so Jay Hood, of course, said, "Is there anything we can learn from Ohio State's issues moving the ball against Northwestern?" I think the biggest thing that you learn about Ohio State is this defense is legit. I know that they gave up some yards here, 285 total to be exact. They got outgained by two yards here, but I love what Jim Knowles is doing with this defense. They're fantastic. It's a really, really good team. So. Cheers to them for knocking it out, getting it done. But uh, whew, that was it was a tight one. You wouldn't expect it, but uh, that's when you know that's when most of these upsets come is when you least expect them. Uh, UCF did get a big win over Memphis. Uh, that was that was interesting. If nothing else, uh, here let's pull that one up uh, as far as the stats go because I I was a little shocked that Memphis was able to stay in this one. Um, but I'll tell you this, Memphis, we we might have, I've been talking about this for a long time. Ryan Silverfield needed to get one of these, right? They are not uh, great currently, I, I would venture to say. Uh, let's actually pull up. Da, 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 da. Memphis now four and five on the season. So let, let's pull up what they've got left uh, because this Memphis program They've now lost four straight. And yes, you've lost to Houston at home by one point. You lost in a quadruple overtime game to ECU. You lost uh, to Tulane where you got blasted out in the beginning and came back. And UCF, you were right there for the entire ballgame. This Memphis administration has their sights on something bigger. You cannot have continuous seven-win seasons or six-win seasons or whatever and expect to gain ground as far as moving to a bigger conference. And and who knows? Uh, <laughs> ABC, fraud alert around Ohio State, run blocking fail. Ah, again, sleepy Saturday morning, on the road, weather conditions, blah, 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 blah. They found a way to get it done. They did what they did. Um, we'll see how they do against Michigan. Everything else till then is just whatever. But as far as this Memphis program is concerned, you got Tulsa on a Thursday night, you got North Alabama, and you play at SMU probably would be in Silverfield and that staff's best interest to win all three of those. I don't know how easy that's going to be to win at SMU at the end of the season, especially with after what we saw from SMU's offense, which I'll bring up here in a minute. But good gracious. that This, this program under Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell was the top of the AAC. As it sits right now, you want to be at the top of the AAC once UCF and Cincinnati and Houston leave. And they are not that currently. You are being passed by Tulane. You are being passed by East Carolina. Uh, SMU, you know, who who knows what to think of Rhett Lashley's bunch. But that's that's a problem. So UCF, of course, continuing on doing what they're doing with Gus Malzahn, they are still in the top 25. And they are playing at Tulane next week for what looks like a chance to go to the AAC title game. This is what we expected. ABC jumps in. Pre-Gen X history, Memphis won four to seven games a year. Uh, hey, 
look, during the uh, the Larry years, they were even worse than that. I mean, they had three wins over two years before Justin Fuente was hired. It was rough. It was rough. Larry Porter uh, kind of brought that program even further back. Rip Shearer uh, would win anywhere from three to six games a year. Like, I don't even think he went to a bowl game for a very, very long time, but they were at least competitive. And then Tommy West came in. They made it to like five bowl games in seven years or whatever, but he's the one that told them, you have to invest in football if you are going to continue building this program. If you want to take it seriously, you've got to put money into it. And to their credit, they did. And they've got their eyes set on something else, which is, of course, a Big 12 or whatever the next iteration of the big conference would be, right? You've got a shot in the AAC of being that sixth conference champion every year. Memphis should be competing for that, and they are not close to it. They are nowhere close to it. Uh, let's hit on a few more here. Da, 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 da. Uh, Baylor, 38-35 to 35 over Oklahoma. Dave Aranda, quietly sitting back, not ranked, doing his thing. Look, this Baylor team is pretty good. I, I'm, I'll pull up the stats on this one. 38 to 35, they win. 20 plays uh, to, that's not right. I think I've got the wrong thing pulled up. Oklahoma outgained them. Not surprising. Yeah, they, <laughs> I've got the code wrong on this. All right, here, we'll pull it up over here. Uh, but Baylor, you know, able to get the win. Uh, I did not, I was not able to get eyes on this because of where the, the thing was. So, wasn't able to see it. Is this top 25? What is going on? Yeah, there we go. Ridiculous. Uh, ABC jumps in. I remember old Memphis State some decades. It was a doormat. I agree. Memphis program has upside. Yeah, there's talent here. There's talent in Memphis. Uh, Norvell proved it. You can win here. And this, I like Ryan Silverfield. I really do. He's an incredible recruiter. The issue that you have is can you win with those guys that you recruit? We've seen this over and over and over again. The team that's winning at Tennessee right now was all recruited by Jeremy Pruitt. Like, Hendon Hooker, I think, came in before Josh Heupel was hired. Like, <laughs> uh, just just nuts. Just absolutely nuts. Um, let's see. Uh, da, da, da. UH Smooth, we were on the wrong side. Yeah. Okay, That's. let's talk about that. Let's move over to that one. <sighs> I need to bring up the stat broadcast on this so that so that you can see. Uh, and Jay Hood said that the game was on uh, ESPN Plus. Surprised me. Ran out of monitors to watch. Yeah, that, that was the Oklahoma-Baylor game. Just, yeah. Last sip of coffee. Clayton Toon in this ballgame had 30, he was 36 out of 53 for 527 yards, seven touchdowns, three interceptions. If you look at the total yardage, Houston outgained SMU 710 yards, 642. They had more passing yards by 150 yards. Uh, They did have about 80 less rushing yards here. They turned the football over three times. It led directly to 14 SMU points. And SMU won this game 77 to 63. I am shooketh. Tanner Mordecai came back for this ballgame, and he had not been good. Even when he was in, he had not been a great quarterback. He went 28 out of 37 for 379 yards and nine touchdowns. I had this ballgame on one of my screens, which if you see behind me, 
Uh, and I don't know if you can see all of them. I've got three screens over there. I've got one, two right here. I got five screens. And then, of course, I got the iPad. I got three monitors here. I, I had a lot of games on yesterday. And you can't watch all of them. But every time I turned around to see what was going on with Houston, they were getting scored on again and again and again. Uh, Parker Fleming at Stats of War said, SMU was going for the Golden Eckle. <laughs> if you look at what they did in this game, they only punted the ball one time. They scored on every other drive. Like, how does this happen? Like, I, I know that the Houston defense is not good, but uh, just unbelievable. Let's see. Uh, uh, Nightbot caught somebody, Mac Daddy Donk, and said, No, come on, no, stop spamming caps. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, I, I just, I, I, I saw this game, and you see what Houston was able to do on offense. Touchdown, 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 then interception, interception. That's where the game changed. Touchdown, touchdown, missed field goal. Touchdown, turnover on downs. Touchdown, 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 interception at the end of the game. Like, they, they were literally at the end of the ball game throwing into the end zone with a chance to get this thing within seven. It would have been 77 to 70. I had Houston plus three. What happened? I had them plus two, and then I took some more action at plus three, but regardless. Uh, between them and Texas State, things did not go well for me last night. I had I had way too much money invested in Jake Spavital and Dana Holgerson. I won't be making that mistake again. <laughs> ABC said, wow, Dana H allergic to stops. Yeah. Um, Coastal Carolina on Thursday night, what a massive, massive win for Jamie Chadwell. This is his best coaching job by far. He has got an incredibly inexperienced team this year, and he was able to develop these dudes to the point where, like, App State has a better offensive line and defensive line than they do. App State is a better overall talent-wise football team than Coastal Carolina, and there is something about having the right quarterback. If you got the right quarterback, Grayson McCall, with the game plan that Jamie Chadwell put in, was able to find guys just wide open, and he was able to throw the ball quickly. Coastal Carolina is a fantastic football team. That is a fantastic football team. Uh, they've only got one loss on the season. And so they got they got an interesting schedule coming up here pretty soon that, uh, that I mean, that team could get to the Sunbelt title game with one loss, I believe. I think they've been through the the toughest part of their schedule. Let's, uh, let's pull up what their schedule looks like right now. Here, we'll pull it up on the screen so you can see. Um, they have got Southern Miss at home. They play at Virginia. <laughs> and they play at James Madison. Well, James Madison kind of got brought to, back down to earth last night. Uh, by the way, James Madison started out 5-0 and this season. I think they've now lost their last three, if I'm not mistaken. So, I had, I've got an under 6.5 ticket on them. I've got an under 5.5 ticket on them. Uh, what is, let's see about James Madison. Let's see what James Madison looks like. Da, 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 is this thing going to, and it's not going to show me. Unbelievable. There we go. It's opening up. James Madison. Yeah, five and three now. And they play at Old Dominion. They play Georgia State. And they play Coastal Carolina. Hmm. Interesting. Let's see if that ticket can happen. There we go. Mac Daddy Donk. How about them Tigers? <laughs> Getting in for the uh, for the LSU talk, I see. Yes. Had a, 
had a long discussion about LSU this morning and Alabama, of course. Uh, Brian Kelly and what he is doing with that LSU team, terrifying. Terrifying. Uh, ABC, why didn't USC East try for Chadwell? Uh, I think I think South Carolina's pretty happy with Shane Beamer and what, what they got going there. Uh, I will tell you this. Jamie Chadwell has some things uh, in in his past when he was at Charleston Southern uh, that are just NCAA issues. Now, I don't believe that a lot of teams will be scared off of this now. Uh, but there was just... They had to they had to vacate a lot of wins, a lot of this and that. So uh, something to look into just to... It's out there, right? You you can go search for it. Uh, Malari jumps in, SMU 77, what in the world? I even teased it to 10 and a half. Yeah, yeah, ditto, ditto. I lost quite a bit on this one. <laughs> I don't know what happened, how it happened. Uh, I just I, I went back and watched a little bit of it this morning, and I was just shocked. Just shocked at, at what Houston was was doing there. Let's see. We talked about UCF. We talked about Baylor, SMU, Coastal, uh, Kansas. Tearing down the goalpost. Doing what it was. Doing, uh, ABC, when Beamer was hired, I meant in 2020. Well, because Chadwell only really had one year of showing he could do this. I mean, Jamie Chadwell now uh, going on a streak of... And now I wonder, are there going to be some schools that want him to prove it without Grayson McCall? That's the question, right? Kansas 37, Oklahoma State 16, tearing down the goalpost. It got bowl eligible. Cheers. Cheers to Lance Leipold. What a fantastic story there. And Oklahoma State just, whew, rough. That is that is rough, man. Just uh, unbelievable. Looking at, at what happened to, to I mean, they, they got everybody hurt. Everybody on Oklahoma State is hurt. And that's not an excuse for Oklahoma State. That team should be better than Kansas anyway. But what I'm looking at is the fact that Kansas, even with a backup quarterback, even with their leading running back out for the season, this Kansas team, even without two of their best players on offense, is still able to move the ball. They're still able to out-scheme teams. This, This is a good Kansas team. It's a fun team. Uh, Ohio State and Northwestern was one of the other ones. Uh, let's let's roll through some of these right quick just to get an idea. Uh, Washington, of course, close win on Friday night. UConn, another big win. They are now five and five, and they've got a monster ball game against Liberty. Um, Duke got to bowl eligibility. Mike Elko doing a fantastic job with the thirty-eight thirty-one win over Boston College, where BC was just gifted, gifted points in that ball game by those referees. Uh, just nuts. Just nuts. We've been through, I think, all of the top 25. Uh, Michigan Rutgers, that one looked a little squirrely early. They were down 17-14 uh, to 14 at the half and then came out in the second half and just, you know, this another another one of those situations, uh, kind of like the Ohio State game, uh, only I don't think Michigan really had to deal with, you know, the same kind of weather that Ohio State did. But once Michigan realized, oh, we're actually in a fight, they came out and put up 28 points in the in the third quarter. So no problems there. Oregon doing Oregon things. 49 to 10 over Colorado. That is what it is. Cal and USC got really crazy last night while I was working on notes. Man, uh, Cal put up 21 points in the in the fourth quarter and had a chance to get an onside kick at the end of the ball game. <laughs> uh, USC can't stop anybody. I mean, that's unbelievable. Uh, U, uh, UCLA 50 to 36. That one got a little squirrely late as well. Uh, you see, in the second half, there uh, Arizona State scored 26 points in that spot. Um, Arizona only put up 20 points on Utah. Utah, even without Dalton Kincaid, was able to do some some pretty good things there. 
Penn State, big win over Indiana, North Carolina. Their defense, again, cannot stop anybody, cannot get a stop, and wouldn't punch it in at the end, even though they were on the two-yard line. Uh, lost a bet on that one because of is what it is. Syracuse, uh, again, cannot stop people on defense, and Garrett Schrader was out for that game, 19-9, to whatever. Uh, NC State, they this may be a team worth watching here. They're 7-2 and on the season. They got a win over Wake Forest, which they had not been able to do in some of these other years. But this team was, uh, I thought, I just kind of written NC State off. And that quarterback for them, uh, and I forget his name, MJ Morris, I think it is, uh, looks like the real deal. I mean, he's a fresh, four-star freshman. I guess the future is now. I, I think they wanted to redshirt this kid, and he's too good to keep off the field. And so we'll we'll see what this team looks like going forward. But man, he looked good against Wake Forest. Air Force thirteen to seven over Army. Of course, Service Academy unders. Kentucky got a win. Hey, you want to talk about crazy? Go listen to um, go listen to. I think it was the Cover Three podcast. I think Bud Elliott was the one talking about. Yeah, it was Bud Elliott talking about the the roughing the punter in this game because I I was keeping up with this game. I did not see it happen in real time. Uh, I did go back and watch it after Bud Elliott was talking about it, and this is one of the funnier things I've ever seen. Now, it sucks for the kid that got hurt that, you know, roughing the punt, but I've never seen roughing the punter before. And you want to talk about mad. Eli Drinkwitz was irate. Florida, uh, 41-24 to over Texas A&M. Well, uh, that's now five straight losses for Texas A&M. They had everybody out because of the flu, etc. Uh, who knows what is going to happen with this team. Uh, they, they did not score after halftime. And Billy Napier, just sitting back, continuing to build culture, et cetera. I talked about it earlier in the week. Uh, Purdue, that offense does not work when you have wind and rain and everything else, uh, especially against Iowa's defense. And Iowa was able to make it work somehow. Uh, Maryland, I thought, was going to be able to uh, at least put up a, a fight against Wisconsin, and they were down 17-10 to 10 at the half. That was a, a – excuse me, 17 to nothing at the half. Uh, that one was rough. Georgia Tech got a win over Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech got a pick six in this game and a punt return touchdown and still lost to Georgia Tech. Just unbelievable. Uh, Brent Pry is now 2-7 and seven in his first season. That roster needs a complete overhaul. Complete overhaul. South Florida, is this the end of the Jeff Scott era? I think we talked about this a little bit earlier with Clemson, but, man, 54-28, to 28, lost to Temple. Like, Temple absolutely put it on them in the third and fourth quarter. I mean, it was that's almost inexcusable. Like, just unbelievable. Uh, Georgia State got a massive win against Southern Miss, 42-14, to and, I mean, that was really over from the first quarter. Once Georgia State got out to a 14-0 lead, you kind of had the feeling that Southern Miss's offense was not going to be able to come back in this ballgame. Washington State was up 42-7 uh, to at the half on Stanford. That Stanford team looks like they have uh, just, they, they've packed it in, and, and I hate that. Um, but yeah, that, that one's rough. Iowa State 31 to 14 over West Virginia. Cheers to Iowa State for getting their first Big 12 win. And U, uh, UTSA, monster, monster matchup, monster game. Uh, Frank Harris throws the touchdown pass towards the end. I watched uh, some of the highlights on this one. I, I think the idea was for UAB to keep Brian Vincent as its head coach. But if you go four and five overall in your first nine games and two and four in Conference USA when you were a favorite in the conference, yeah, I don't know that Vincent is going to keep the head coaching job. 
Uh, might not surprise me to see Bill Clark come back uh, because it appears that he is healing well from his back surgery that caused an early retirement over the summer. So something to watch for there. South Alabama, 4-1 and one in the Sun Belt. Uh, Troy, by the way, uh, now 5-1 and one in the Sun Belt, got a massive win, a come-from-behind win at Louisiana. Uh, just a huge game for Troy and for our Troy Sun Belt West Futures. Of course, a plus 450, I believe, to win the division early on. I think you could get it at plus, one, or th- plus 350 back in August. But, uh, yeah, Jason jumps in. Jason Adams, go Rice Owls. Uh, Rice, hey. Um, I'm looking. Rice was uh, Rice did well this weekend. Um, I got him somewhere. There we go, 37 to 30. Yeah, Thursday night. That was a fun one. Um, they're one win away from bowl eligibility. Let's look at the schedule for Rice right quick, and then I gotta get out of here. I gotta go get the boy. But uh, you got Western Kentucky. Uh, this is gonna be rough. You need one of them at Western Kentucky, at home against UTSA, and at North Texas. Odds are you could probably get one of those. Rice is now three and two in Conference USA. Yeah, I think you could find a way to get one of those and maybe shock somebody. Maybe you could do it at Western Kentucky this week and get my at uh, my my Western Kentucky under ticket to cash. That would be pretty nice. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's look at the notes. What all do we need to go through? I think we I think we hit everything that I wanted to. Uh, you guys have been fantastic. Thank you for joining the show. We do this every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I am back on Winning Cures Everything on Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. I am back on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. And I'm back on Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. And, of course, I host the BetUS College Football Show on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's noon central for all you lunch guys. Uh, It's going to be a good week. I can feel it because I did not have a good one last week with the bets. But that means that I will certainly rise back to the meat, right? Back to the middle. I think that's what we're shooting for. Let's uh, let's go on and get out of here. You guys are fantastic. Subscribe to the show if you've not already. Make sure and go check out BetUS. They bring you the show each and every time out. And share the show out. Tell your friends. If you hadn't already, like the video. That helps me out significantly for whatever the algorithm stuff is that goes on in the background on YouTube. But, uh, but certainly share that stuff out. And with that said, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully all of you tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show.